Chapter Eighteen of Imperium in Imperio by Sutton Griggs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Storm's Master. When Bernard ceased speaking and took his seat, the house was as silent as a graveyard. All felt that the time for words had passed, and the next and only thing in order was a deed each man seemed determined to keep his seat and remain silent until he had some definite plan to suggest at length one man somewhat aged arose and spoke as follows fellow-citizens our condition is indeed past enduring and we must find a remedy i have spent the major portion of my life in close study of this subject searching for a solution my impression is that the negro will never leave this country the day for the wholesale exodus of nations is past we must then remain here as long as we remain here as a separate and distinct race we shall continue to be oppressed we must lose our identity i therefore urge that we abandon the idea of becoming anything noteworthy as a separate and distinct race and send the word forth that we amalgamate when the word amalgamate escaped his lips a storm of hisses and jeers drowned further speech and he quickly crouched down in his seat another arose and advocated emigration to the african congo free state he pointed out that this state great in area and rich in resources was in the hands of the weak kingdom of belgium and could be wrested from belgium with the greatest ease in fact it might be possible to purchase it as it was the personal property of king leopold he further stated that one of his chief reasons for suggesting emigration was that it would be a terrible blow to the south the proud southerner would then have his own forests to fell and fields to tend he pictured the haughty southern lady at last the queen of her own kitchen he then called attention to the loss of influence and prestige which the south would sustain in the nation by losing nearly one-half of its population the south's representation in congress would be reduced to such a point that the south would have no appreciable influence on legislation for one half a century to come he called attention to the business depression that would ensue when the southern supply merchant lost such an extensive consumer as the negro he wound up by urging the imperium to go where they would enjoy all the rights of freemen and by picturing the demoralization and ruin of the south when they thus went forth his suggestion met with much favor but he did not make clear the practicability of his scheme at length a bold speaker arose who was courageous enough to stick a match to the powder magazine which bernard had left uncovered in all their bosoms his first declaration was i am for war and it was cheered to the echo it was many minutes before the applause died away he then began an impassioned invective against the south and recited in detail horror after horror for which the south was answerable he described hangings 
revolting in their brutality he drew vivid word pictures of various burnings mentioning one where a white woman struck the match and ignited the pile of wood that was to consume the trembling negro he told of the texas horror when a colored man named smith was tortured with a red-hot poker and his eyes gouged out after which he was slowly roasted to death he then had mrs cook arise and gather her children about her and tell her sorrowful story as she proceeded the entire assembly broke down in tears and men fell on each other's necks and wept like babes and oh their hearts swelled their bosoms heaved their breath came quick with choking passion and there burst from all their throats the one hoarse cry war 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 bernard turned his head away from this affecting sight and in his soul swore a terrible oath to avenge the wrongs of his people when quiet was sufficiently restored the man with the match arose and offered the following resolutions whereas the history of our treatment by the anglo-saxon race is but the history of oppression and whereas our patient endurance of evil has not served to decrease this cruelty but seems rather to increase it and whereas the ballot-box the means of peaceful revolution is denied us therefore be it resolved that the hour for wreaking vengeance for our multiplied wrongs has come resolved secondly that we at once proceed to war for the purpose of accomplishing the end just named and for the further purpose of obtaining all our rights do us as men resolve thirdly that no soldier of the imperium leave the field of battle until the ends for which this war was inaugurated are fully achieved a dozen men were on their feet at once to move the adoption of these resolutions the motion was duly seconded and put before the house the chairman asked are you ready to vote ready was the unanimous vociferous response the chairman belton piedmont quietly said not ready all eyes were then pointed eagerly and inquiringly to him he called the senior member of the house to the chair and came down upon the floor to speak we are now about to record one of the most remarkable feats of oratory known to history belton stood with his massive intellectual head thrown back and a look of determined defiance shot forth from his eyes his power in debate was well known and the members settled themselves back for a powerful onslaught of some kind but exactly what to expect they did not know fortunately for belton's purpose surprise wonder expectancy had for the time being pushed into the background the more violent emotions surging a moment before belton turned his head slowly letting his eye sweep the entire circle of faces before him and there seemed to be a force and an influence emanating from the look he began i call upon you all to bear me witness that i have ever in word and deed been zealous in the work of building up this imperium whose holy mission it is to grapple with our enemy and wrest from him our stolen rights given to us by nature and nature's god if there be one of you that knowest aught against my patriotism i challenge him to declare it now and if there be anything to even cast a suspicion upon me i shall gladly court 
a traitor's ignoble doom he paused here no one accepted the challenge for belton was the acknowledged guiding star that had led the imperium to the high point of efficiency where bernard found it by your silence belton continued i judge that my patriotism is above suspicion and this question being settled i shall feel free to speak all that is within me on the subject now before me i have a word to say in defence of the south no 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 burst from a score of throats friends crowded around belton and begged him to desist they told him that the current was so strong that it was death to all future usefulness to try to breast it belton waved them away and cried out in impassioned tones on her soil i was born on her bosom i was reared into her arms i hope to fall in death and i shall not from fear of losing popular favour desist from pointing out the natural sources from which her sins arise so that when judgment is pronounced justice will not hesitate to stamp it with her righteous seal remember your scars shouted one yes i am scarred returned belton i've been in the hands of an angry mob i've dangled from a tree at the end of a rope i've felt the murderous pistol drive cold lead into my flesh i've been accounted dead and placed upon the dissecting table i've felt a sharp surgical knife ripping my flesh apart when i was supposed to be dead all of these hardships and more besides i have received at the hands of the south but she has not and cannot drive truth from my bosom and the truth shall i declare this day seeing that it was useless to attempt to deter him belton continued his speech without interruption there are many things in the message of our most worthy president that demand attention it was indeed an awful sin for the anglo-saxon to enslave the negro but in judging a people we must judge them according to the age in which they lived and the influence that surrounded them if david were on earth alive to-day and the ruler of an enlightened kingdom he would be impeached forthwith fined for adultery imprisoned for bigamy and hanged for murder yet while not measuring up to the standard of morality of to-day he was the man after god's own heart in his day and generation if abraham were here to-day he would be expelled from any church that had any regard for decency and yet he was the father of the faithful for he walked according to the little light that struggled through the clouds and reached him when slavery was introduced into america it was the universal practice of mankind to enslave knowing how quick we all are to heed the universal voice of mankind we should be lenient toward others who are thus tempted and fall it has appeared strange to some that the americans could fight for their own freedom from england and yet not think of those whom they then held in slavery it should be remembered that the two kinds of slavery were by no means identical the americans fought for a theory and abstract principle the negro did not even discern the points at issue and the anglo-saxon naturally did not concern himself at that time with any one so gross as not to know anything of a principle for which he the anglo-saxon was ready to offer up his life our president alluded to the fact that the negro was unpaid for all his years of toil it is true that he was not paid in coin but he received that from the anglo-saxons which far outweighs in value all the gold coin on earth 
he received instruction in the arts of civilization a knowledge of the english language and a conception of the one true god and his christ while all of the other races of men were behind the ball of progress rolling it up the steep hill of time the negro was asleep in the jungles of africa newton dug for the law of gravitation herschel swept the starry sky in search of other worlds columbus stood upon the prow of the ship and braved the waves of the ocean and the fiercer ridicule of men martin luther single-handed and alone fought the pope the religious guide of the world and all of this was done while the negro slept after others had toiled so hard to give the bright light of civilization to the world it was hardly to be expected that a race that slept while others worked could step up and at once enjoy all the fruits of others toil allow me to note this great fact that by enslavement in america the negro has come into possession of the great english language he is thus made heir to all the richest thoughts of earth had he retained his mother tongue it would perhaps have been centuries untold before the masterpieces of earth were given him as it is we can now enjoy the companionship of shakespeare bacon milton bunyan together with the favorite sons of other nations adopted into the english language such as dante hugo goethe dumas and hosts of others nor must we ever forget that it was the anglo-saxon who snatched from our idolatrous grasp the deaf images to which we prayed and the anglo-saxon who pointed us to the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world so beloved fellow-citizens when we calmly survey the evil and the good that came to us through american slavery it is my opinion that we find more good for which to thank god than we find evil for which to curse man our president truly says that abraham lincoln was in such a position that he was forced to set the negro free but let us remember that it was abraham lincoln and those who labored with him that created this position from which he could turn neither to the right nor to the left if in his patriotic soul we see love for the flag of his country overshadowing every other love let us not ignorantly deny that other loves were there deep strong and incapable of eradication and let us be grateful for that the labor question prejudice pride self-interest prompt the whites to oppose our leaving in too large numbers the lower forms of labor for the higher and they resort to any extreme to carry out their purpose but this opposition is not an unmixed evil the prejudice and pride that prompt them to exclude the negro from the higher forms of labor also exclude themselves from the lower forms thus leaving the negro in undisputed possession of a whole kingdom of labor furthermore by denying us clerical positions and other higher types of labor we shall be forced into enterprises of our own to furnish labor for our own talent let us accept the lesson so plainly taught and provide enterprises to supply our own needs and employ our own talents if there is any one thing more than another that will push the negro forth to build enterprises of his own it will be this refusal of the whites to employ the higher order of labor that the race from time to time produces this refusal will prove a blessing if we accept the lesson that it teaches and two in considering this subject let us not feel that we are the only people who have a labor problem on hand to be solved 
the anglo-saxon race is divided into two hostile camps labor and capital these two forces are gradually drawing together for a tremendous conflict a momentous battle the riots at homestead at chicago at latimer are but skirmishes between the picket lines informing us that a general conflict is imminent let us thank god that we are not in the struggle let us thank him that our labor problem is no worse than it is our civil rights for our civil rights we are struggling and we must secure them but if they had all come to us when they first belonged to us we must frankly admit that we would have been unprepared for them our grotesque dress our broken language our ignorant curiosity and on the part of many our boorish manners would have been nauseating in the extreme to men and women accustomed to refined association of course these failings are passing away but the polished among you have often been made ashamed at the uncouth antics of some ignorant negroes courting the attention of the whites in their presence let us see to it then that we as a people not a small minority of us are prepared to use and not abuse the privileges that must come to us let us reduce the question of our rejection to a question pure and simple of the color of our skins and by the help of that god who gave us that color we shall win on the question of education much might be said in blame of the south but far more may be said in her praise the evils of which our president spoke are grave and must be righted but let us not fail to see the bright side the anglo-saxon child virtually pays for the education of the negro child you might hold that he might do more it is equally true that he might do less when we contrast the anglo-saxon opening his purse and pouring out his money for the education of the negro with the anglo-saxon plaiting a scourge to flog the negro aspiring to learn the progress is marvellous indeed and let us not complain too bitterly of the school maintained by the southerner for it was there that we learned what true freedom was it was in school that our hearts grew warm as we read of washington of jefferson of henry apostles of human liberty it was a school of the southerner that has builded the imperium which now lifts its hand in power and might to strike at last a last grand blow for liberty courts of justice as for the courts of justice i have not one word to say in palliation of the way in which they pander to the prejudices of the people if the courts be corrupt if the arbitrator between man and man be unjust if the wretched victim of persecution is to be stabbed to death in the house of refuge then indeed has mortal man sunk to the lowest level though every other branch of organized society may reek with filth and slime let the ermine on the shoulders of the goddess of justice ever be clean and spotless but remember this that the court of last resort has set the example which the lower courts have followed the supreme court of the united states it seems may be relied upon to sustain any law born of prejudice against the negro and to demolish any law constructed in his interest witness the dred scott decision and in keeping with this the decision on the civil rights bill and separate coach law if this court commonly accepted as being constituted with our friends sets such a terrible example of injustice it is not surprising that its filthy waters corrupt the various streams of justice in all their ramifications mob law of all the curses that have befallen the south 
this is the greatest it cannot be too vehemently declaimed against but let us look well and see if we as a people do not bear some share of the responsibility for the prevalence of this curse our race has furnished some brutes lower than the beasts of the field who have stirred the passions of the anglo-saxon as nothing in all of human history has before stirred them the shibboleth of the anglo-saxon race is the courage of man and the virtue of woman and when by violence a member of a despised race assails a defenceless woman robs her of her virtue her crown of glory and sends her back to society broken and crushed in spirit longing sighing praying for the oblivion of the grave it is not to be wondered at that hell is scoured by the southern white man in search of plans to vent his rage the lesson for him to learn is that passion is ever a blind guide and the more violent the more blind let him not cease to resent with all the intensity of his proud soul the accursed crime but let this resentment pursue such a channel as will ensure the execution of the guilty and the escape of the innocent as for us let us cease to furnish the inhuman brutes whose deeds suggest inhuman punishments but i am aware that in a large majority of cases where lynchings occur outrages upon women are not even mentioned this fact but serves as an argument against all lynchings for when lawlessness breaks forth no man can set a limit where it will stop it also warns us as a race to furnish no crime that provokes lynching for when lynching once gets started guilty and innocent alike will suffer and crimes both great and small will be punished alike in regard to the lynching of our comrade cook i have this to say every feature connected with that crime but emphasizes its heinousness cook was a quiet unassuming gentlemanly being enjoying the respect of all in a remarkable degree having wronged no one he was unconscious of having enemies his wife and loving little ones had retired to rest and were enjoying the deep sleep of the innocent a band of whites crept to his house under the cover of darkness and thought to roast all alive in endeavouring to make their escape the family was pursued by a shower of bullets and cook fell to the ground a corpse leaving his loved ones behind pursued by a fiendish mob and the colour of cook's skin was the only crime laid at his door if ye who speculate in doubt as to the existence of a hell but peer into the hearts of those vile creatures who slew poor cook you will draw back in terror for hell black hell is there to give birth to a deed of such infamy their hearts must be hells in miniature but there is one redeeming feature about this crime unlike others it found no defence anywhere the condemnation of the crime was universal and the entire south cried out in bitter tones against the demons who had at last succeeded in putting the crown of infamy of all the ages upon her brow politics the south has defrauded us out of the ballot and she must restore it but in judging her crime let us take an impartial view of its occasion the ballot is supposed to be an expression of opinion it is a means employed to record men's ideas it is not designed as a vehicle of prejudice or gratitude but of thought opinion when the negro was first given the ballot he used it to convey expression of love and gratitude to the north while it bore to the south a message of hate and revenge no negro on pain of being ostracized or probably murdered was allowed to exercise the ballot in any other way than that just mentioned they voted in a mass according to the dictates of love and hate the ballot was never designed for such a purpose the white man snatched the ballot from the negro his only crime was 
in not snatching it from him also for he was voting on the same principle neither race was thinking they were both simply feeling and ballots are not meant to convey feelings but happily that day has passed and both races are thinking and are better prepared to vote but the white man is still holding on to the stolen ballot box and he must surrender it if we can secure possession of that right again we shall use it to correct the many grievous wrongs under which we suffer that is the one point on which all of our efforts are focused here is the storm centre let us carry this point and our flag will soon have all of our rights inscribed thereon the struggle is on and my beloved congress let me urge one thing upon you leave out revenge as one of the things at which to aim in his holy word our most high god has said vengeance is mine great as is this imperium let it not mount god's throne and attempt by violence to rob him of his prerogatives in this battle we want him on our side and let us war as becometh men who fear and reverence him hitherto we have seen vengeance terrible in his hands while we the oppressed stayed upon the plantation in peace our oppressors were upon the field of battle engaged in mortal combat and it was the blood of our oppressor not our own that was paid as the price of our freedom and that same god is alive to-day and let us trust him for vengeance and if we pray let our prayer be for mercy on those who have wronged us for direful shall be their woes and now i have a substitute proposition fellow comrades i am not for internecine war o eternal god lend unto these my comrades the departed spirit of dante faithful artist of the horrors of hell for we feel that he alone can paint the shudder-making soul-sickening scenes that follow in the wake of fast-moving internecine war now hear my solution of the race problem the anglo-saxon does not yet know that we have caught the fire of liberty he does not yet know that we have learned what a glorious thing it is to die for a principle and especially when that principle is liberty he does not yet know how the genius of his institutions has taken hold of our very souls in the days of our enslavement we did not seem to him to be much disturbed about physical freedom during the whole period of our enslavement we made only two slight insurrections when at last the war came to set us free we stayed in the field and fed the men who were reddening the soil with their blood in a deadly struggle to keep us in bondage for ever we remained at home and defended the helpless wives and children of men who if they had been at home would have counted it no crime to have ignored all our family ties and scattered husbands and wives mothers and children as ruthlessly as the autumn winds do the falling leaves the anglo-saxon has seen the eyes of the negro following the american eagle in its glorious flight the eagle has alighted on some mountain top and the poor negro has been seen climbing up the rugged mountain side eager to caress the eagle when he has attempted to do this the eagle has clawed at his eyes and dug his beak into his heart and has flown away in disdain and yet so majestic was its flight that the negro with tears in his eyes and blood dripping from his heart has smiled and shouted god save the eagle these things have caused us to be misunderstood we know that our patient submission and slavery was due to our consciousness of weakness we know that our silence and inaction during the civil war was due to a belief that god was speaking for us and fighting our battle we know that our devotion to the flag will not survive one moment after our hope is dead but we must not be content with knowing these things ourselves we must change the conception which the anglo-saxon has formed of our character 
we should let him know that patience has a limit that strength brings confidence that faith in god will demand the exercise of our own right arm that hope and despair are each equipped with swords the latter more dreadful than the former before we make a forward move let us pull the veil from before the eyes of the anglo-saxon that he may see the new negro standing before him humbly but firmly demanding every right granted him by his maker and wrested from him by man if however the revelation of our character and the full knowledge of our determined attitude does not procure our rights my proposition which i am about to submit will still offer a solution resolutions one be it resolved that we no longer conceal from the anglo-saxon the fact that the imperium exists so that he may see that the love of liberty in our bosoms is strong enough to draw us together into this compact government you will also see that each individual negro does not stand by himself but is a link in a great chain that must not be broken with impunity Two resolve that we earnestly strive to convince the anglo-saxon that we are now thoroughly wedded to the doctrine of patrick henry give me liberty or give me death let us teach the anglo-saxon that we have arrived at the stage of development as a people where we prefer to die in honour rather than live in disgrace three resolved that we spend four years in endeavours to impress the anglo-saxon that he has a new negro on his hands and must surrender what belongs to him in case we fail by these means to secure our rights and privileges we shall all at once abandon our several homes in the various other states and emigrate in a body to the state of texas broad in domain rich in soil and salubrious in climate having an unquestioned majority of votes we shall secure possession of the state government for resolved that when once lawfully in control of that great state we shall every man die in his shoes before we shall allow vicious frauds or unlawful force to pursue us there and rob us of our acknowledged right five resolved that we sojourn in the state of texas working out our destiny as a separate and distinct race in the united states of america such is the proposition which i present it is primarily pacific yet it is firm and unyielding it courts a peaceable adjustment yet it does not shirk war if war is forced but in concluding let me emphasize that my aim my hope my labors my fervent prayer to god is for a peaceable adjustment of all our differences upon the high plane of the equality of man our beloved president in his message to this congress made a serious mistake when he stated that there were only two weapons to be used in accomplishing revolutions he named the sword and spear and ballot there is a weapon mightier than either of these i speak of the pen if denied the use of the ballot let us devote our attention to that mightier weapon the pen other races which have obtained their freedom erect monuments over bloody spots where they slew their fellow-men may god favour us to obtain our freedom without having to dot our land with these relics of barbaric ages the negro is the latest comer upon the scene of modern civilization it would be the crowning glory of even this marvellous age it would be the grandest contribution ever made to the cause of human civilization it would be a worthy theme for the songs of the holy angels if every negro away from the land of his nativity can by means of the pen force an acknowledgment of equality from the proud lips of the fierce 
all-conquering anglo-saxon thus eclipsing the record of all other races of men who without exception have had to wade through blood to achieve their freedom amid all the dense gloom that surrounds us this transcendent thought now and then finds its way to my heart and warms it like a glorious sun center your minds beloved congress on this sublime hope and god may grant it to you but be prepared if he deems us unfit for so great a boon to buckle on our swords and go forth to win our freedom with the sword just as has been done by all other nations of men my speech is made my proposition is before you i have done my duty your destiny is in your own hands belton's speech had like dynamite blasted away all opposition he was in thorough mastery of the situation the waves of the sea were now calm the fierce winds had abated there was a great rift in the dark clouds the ship of state was sailing placidly on the bosom of the erstwhile troubled sea and belton was at the helm his propositions were adopted in their entirety without one dissenting voice when the members left the congress hall that evening they breathed freely feeling that the great race problem was at last about to be definitely settled but alas how far wrong they were as belton was leaving the chamber bernard approached him and put his hands fondly on his shoulders bernard's curly hair was disordered and a strange fire gleamed in his eye he said come over to the mansion to-night i wish much to see you come about nine p m belton agreed to go End of chapter eighteen